Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Please excuse me, I have a little bit of a cold. Um, it's not COVID though, I tested twice. <laughs> um, early on during the pandemic, um, a friend reached out to me. Uh, he had recently moved to Arizona, and he was lonely because of the lockdown, and he didn't know anybody. Um, so then he, he reached out to several other people, and he proposed having a weekly game night via Zoom. Once a week, we would gather and play different role-playing games. Um, role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons. Not Dungeons & Dragons, but games like Dungeons & Dragons. Now, um, the cool thing was, was that a lot of the folks that we were playing we're, we're old friends, like really old friends, friends from high school. Um, and a lot of us hadn't even really spoken since then. So, you know, these are, these are people I haven't spoken with in you know, almost 30 years. Um, and we just met weekly. Every week we just got on, we played our games, um, and chatted. And uh, now, since then, uh, we've, we still meet. Um, but more recently it's been, you know, kind of bi-monthly. And a lot of the newbies have kind of dropped off. So it's just this core group of us that have all known each other since high school. Actually, some of them have known each other since elementary school, but I was the late person that got, got to know them in high school. And these are guys that knew me from before I was a Christian. And they saw, they saw or heard. Uh, one of them was there uh, when I became a Christian, when I gave my life to Christ. And, um, but the other ones, they, they, they saw or heard about my, my conversion, and they saw my struggle to live my faith. And that's who I was with last Sunday. Um, about every year, year and a half, um, we get together in person uh, to see one another. Um, you know, tell old jokes and the joke about being old and uh, talk about our lives and really just to hang out. It's not deep talk. Like, there's not really that deep talk going on. But it's familiar talk, if you know what I mean. Um, I mean, not to say that there are a couple of deep conversations, but a lot of it's just being really, really comfortable around each other. And until I started doing this on a regular basis, I didn't realize how much I needed that. Right? Like, oh, because there's this kind of loneliness that only family or like old, old friends can really comfort. Right? There's this, this kind of like connection. And, you know, those of you older are kind of like, mm-hmm. And those of you younger are like, whatever. Um, but you'll find out. <laughs> And we live in this epidemic of loneliness in our country. Um, in 1990, 55% of men reported having six or more close friends. Now, that's a lot of friends. I mean, I don't, I don't think I have that. I mean, I have, I, I have lots of friends, but six or more close friends? Ooh. But now, in uh, 2021, only 27% of men claim to have um, more than six close friends. Um, in women, the numbers are worse, though the decline isn't as sharp. Um, in 1990, 41% of women uh, claimed to have six or more close friends. And in 2021, there's only 24% of women claimed to have six or more close friends. Now, why the six or more? Um, researchers have found that if a person um, claims to have less than three close friends, they still feel lonely most of the time. Okay, so if you only have three close friends, 
a person would kind of like self-place. Yeah, 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 still lonely most of the time. However, a person with six or more close friends rarely report any feelings of loneliness. So that's just why six. Um, so six or more close friends is a goal. And well, why does this matter? Well, besides like health risks and economic costs and societal problems associated with loneliness, like the higher rates of cardiovascular degrees, um, increased susceptibility of infection, which I thought was really weird, but increased susceptibility to infection and higher rates of cognitive impairment and dementia and depression and acts of violence and self-harm and you know, all the increased health costs and all of that. Besides all of that stuff, we were made to bless one another. We were meant to be a blessing to one another, to reflect God's goodness, grace, and love in the hurting world to one another. And so that's why it's important to have friends. Because when we're isolated, we don't get that. We don't do that. And the stakes are high. People are alone, or more accurately, people feel alone. Nearly one in five people report having no close social connections. 18% of people say they have no one that they can ask outside of their immediate household for help if a disaster strikes. 28% of men under 30 report having no close friends at all. The church, people are hurting. Um, this world often feels like it's under a curse, and people feel like they have nowhere to go or no one to turn to. And too often, they're right. They don't. We've created a world where we don't need anybody. We try not to need anybody. Um, Self-sufficiency is kind of the, one of our big goals. And that's really harmful for us. We're not meant to be self-sufficient. First Peter 4, 8 through 11. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Well, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. That's a good line, huh? If anyone speaks, they should do, want, do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. We are stewards of God's grace. And that's why we've been going through this series, Bless. Right? Um, how to be a blessing in a world of curses. Um, bless is an acronym. Each letter stands for something. So B, begin with prayer. L, listen with care. E, eat together. And today we're on the first S, which is serve in love. Um, if you haven't heard any of the other sermons in the series, I'd encourage you to go onto um, the podcast feed or find them on Facebook, uh, and you can catch up. Because I, this is actually, I think, a pretty worthwhile series. And I say this as somebody, like, I don't usually do kind of a kits. I like to just go through a book of the Bible and share. Um, and, but this is, this is good. You know, they gave me the acronyms. I'm using it. I'm running with it. And I think it's important. So... So, that's my encouragement. If you haven't listened to him, go back and listen to him. All right, now we're going to tell a Jesus story. 
This is Mark chapter 7, verses 31 through 38. And, and in this story, Jesus is healing a deaf and mute man. And earlier in the chapter, Jesus and the religious leaders had a confrontation about what makes a person unclean. And then the next two stories um, demonstrated Jesus' point about purity and impurity. And this is the second of those stories. So with that little bit of background, let's go ahead and read Mark 7, 31 through 38, or 37. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidian down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of Decapolis. There some people brought a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the mouth's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven with a deep sigh and said to him, Ephathah which means be open. At this, the man's ears were open, and his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's walk through the story for a moment. So it starts with Jesus left here and went down to Sidian and the region of the Decapolis. Uh, since many of us aren't familiar with the geography and cultures of this region, uh, Jesus is going to the area south of the Sea of Galilee. And these, this is a Gentile region. Okay? It's not a Jewish area. He's going to a Gentile area. And so you can already see that Jesus is placing himself in a region that needs blessing. Because these are the people that were considered unclean by the Jewish people. Right? They're not the chosen ones. And that's where Jesus put. They don't follow the Levitical laws. And that's where Jesus places himself, among people that do not honor his God. That's where Jesus went. And, and there may have been other reasons why Jesus traveled through this reason. Um, but the only thing that we're told that happens is that Jesus met this man in need of healing. And I can't say that this person is the reason why Jesus went to this region. But after all of those other reasons are forgotten, this is what remains. Okay, this is what remains. And so the first thing I'd like for us to think about is, are we where God has called us to be? Uh, because the thing about our hyper-individualized world is we can almost create a life where we don't have to interact with anyone we don't want to. Right? We might have to intentionally, we might have to intentionally place ourselves in places and situations where we have to interact with people that are outside of our little spheres. We can't bless people if we aren't with them. Proximity matters. And Jesus went and traveled to the region of the Decapolis for a reason. And this is the only thing that we're told that happens there. He went there to bless somebody. He went to offer healing. The next thing I want you to notice is Jesus' intentionality. The deaf man's friends brought him to Jesus. And Jesus didn't call him out. Jesus didn't embarrass him. Instead, Jesus took him aside away from the crowd. Away from the crowd. Because along with being deaf, the man also had a severe speech impediment. Um, so he could not hear or respond to Jesus, at least not without you know, awkwardness and embarrassment. Um, being deaf and mostly mute was a big deal. It meant you, have, you had limited opportunities to participate in the community. All right? um, even now, having a disability is, makes it difficult 
to practice community. Um, a poll in 2018 found that 68% of people felt uncomfortable talking to a disabled person. 68% of people. Imagine how much worse it was in Jesus' time. Oh, just a side note. Um, my Body is Not a Prayer Request. It's a little short theology of disability. Very good book. The staff and I read it this uh, summer, or this year. Um, but imagine how much worse it was in Jesus' time. If 68% of people feel uncomfortable talking to somebody with a disability now, imagine back then when they didn't understand, they couldn't understand the medicine, right? All they could understand is God did it. They're like, oh, God did it. Or demons did it. Some, some unclean spirit did it, all right? Jesus does not make the man a spectacle. It isn't that Jesus can't heal this man publicly. He'd already done pub plenty of public healings. Um, but this man was already dehumanized and victimized enough. And Jesus wasn't going to contribute any more to his suffering by making a public show of him. When we bless someone, we are to do it in a way that doesn't make a spectacle of them. Too often, too many people wanting to do good things have done it in ways that dehumanizes and belittles people. Too often we do not help people in such a way that they can keep their dignity and honor. We don't. But Jesus, Jesus, he cared about this man. And he cared, and his healing isn't exploitive, but it's rather done in a way that treats the man with respect, that preserves his dignity, okay, by taking him aside and bringing healing. And so then Jesus takes the man away from the crowd, and Jesus puts his fingers in the man's ear, and then he spits on his fingers and touches the man's tongue. Right. Now, we might think, gross. And it is. It was actually even more gross in the ancient world. Um, spitting was considered a huge insult. And it's probably because of lack of hygiene and understanding how illness spreads and stuff like that. But bodily fluids, bodily like things, things that come out of the body, were considered way taboo. Okay, there was, no, there, there was no functional difference between spit and poop, okay? Like, it all came out of the body. It's all nasty. Unclean, impure, gross. But what Jesus did is he, he touched his spit, and then he touched the man's tongue. It's like saying that there's nothing that comes out of me that is impure. That's what Jesus is saying. There's nothing that comes out of me that is impure. I am holy, holy. And you don't make me unclean. You do not make me unclean. You cannot make me impure. My purity makes even your impurity pure. My wholeness makes even your brokenness healed. Okay? Your brokenness is not stronger than my wholeness. And this gross graphic healing, it, it's a rebuke a bit against the prevailing thought that there's something so broken about people that we could not enter into personal relationship with them. Right? It, it's, it, it epitomizes us, our call to love those that are unlovable. Right? Those that the world may find gross or abhorrent or rep reprehensible. And that doesn't mean we validate all actions. Um, Jesus was a friend to tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners. We know this. But he never said, well, that's okay. It's not that big of a deal. He never endorsed sin. But he never let sin become a barrier in his love for people. Sin never was a wall that kept him from people. 
Can we follow his example? Can we love without letting sin define or set boundaries around our relationships? And lastly, after he touched the man's tongue and ears, Jesus looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh, he cried, Ephathata, which means be opened. All right. Now that word, um, that deep sigh, that's the same word that's used for the groaning of creation for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed in Romans 8.22. And it's the groaning of Christians waiting for the fulfillment of the redemption of the world, of their bodies, in uh, Romans 8.23. And it's the groaning of the Holy Spirit that intercedes for us with words that cannot be spoken in Romans 8.26. It's a deep, deep identification with the pain that the man has experienced. A deep and personal wounding at the way that this man had been wounded throughout his life and circumstances. Jesus allowed himself to feel the pain of the person that he healed. And with a deep groan, he asked God to do what only God could do, to open his ears, to loosen his tongue. And folks, that's what we're called to do, right? We're, we're called to bring people a blessing and ask them to do with them what only God can do. And there are a lot of social programs that are good. I don't, I don't want to, like, knock them, right? Um, we want to help connect people to programs. You know, there's lots of doctors and specialists, and yes, let's all, by all means, work to get folks the care that they need. And there's lots of educational services and therapists and all the rest. Okay. I say that there's a lot, but there's not really a lot. We know that there's shortages everywhere. It's a crisis. But even if there were enough shortages, we're called to bring the goodness of God into their life. So yeah, we help them connect them with social services and things like that. But we're also called to be a blessing ourselves and to intercede for them on behalf of God. That's what we're called to do. And uh, I know I tell a lot of stories about myself, um, but I do it because I'm just a person trying to figure this out, too. Um, and I'm a person that's been blessed by many, many people. So here's another story about myself. Uh, when I was 16, I was kicked out of my father's house, right? And so I was homeless, and I was bouncing around um, different people's couches for a night or a week or a month. Um, and I, I became a Christian when I was 15, so, so I'd started going to church. Um, and there's this one woman. Her name was Jana Clinton. And uh, she went to the church, and uh, she saw me. Uh, and, uh, and she heard about my story from other parents around her, and her mother heart just broke for me. Um, so she's like, well, I should get to know this kid more. And so she asked me to help out um, with the Sunday school outing, right? There's a, a roller skating party. So she asked me to help out with the roller skating party um, so that her and her family could get to know me better. And then after she did that, um, she talked to her husband and three daughters um, and got them to agree to let me live with them. And so for the next year and a half, I lived with the Clintons until I graduated high school. I stayed with them. And they showed me what a Christian family could be like. Right? They were not perfect by any means. Um, but they showed me what it was like to have parents that tried to live by faith, that tried to follow the model of Jesus. And I really think that it's their example, um, it's their example that, that kept me close um, to the family of God, right, right to the church. Because I didn't come from a Christian background. Sorry, I know I keep playing with my ear thing, but it just keeps popping off. Um, 
um, I didn't come from a Christian background. I didn't come from a Christian home. And they lived out Jesus to me. And that's been the cornerstone of my life ever since. Right? No matter what else happened, no matter how far from God I might feel at a given moment, no matter what hardships I've endured, um, I, can always rem- I always remember that they showed me Jesus, that they chose to bless me, that they saw me. And not just this outwardly bombastic punk kid, but this broken, scared, needy kid. Right? They, didn't, they didn't have any place to go. And they chose to invite me into their lives. And they served me in love. And I've never forgotten it. I have never forgotten it. Now, church, the last S is serve in love. And that might mean changing your location somewhat, being in places where people need you. Or it might mean learning to be perceptive, to see what the needs are around you. Because those people aren't just going to blurt out their deepest hurts. You have to learn to listen with care. You have to make it personal. You have to hurt as they hurt, suffer as they suffer. And then we serve in love. We help in a way that maintains dignity and honor for the people that we're serving. So we ask God how to serve, how to bless, and then we do it. Now, throughout the series, um, we, we spent the last few uh, moments in reflection and silent prayer. And so we're going to do that again today. So I'll, I'll set a timer, and it's just a time for us to, to think and pray. But I'd like to challenge you on something. Um, I'd like you to think of one spe- specific, actionable way that you could serve somebody and do it in the next 48 hours. Okay, I would say 24, but it's Mother's Day, so you gotta spend time with your moms. Okay, so, um, so that's why I said 48. Um, and it doesn't have to be a big thing, it can be small, but too often we spend all of our time praying and not enough time doing. All right, it's abstract. So it's a challenge. One specific thing you can do to serve somebody in the next 48 hours. And then tell me about it, I'd love to hear about it. Um, Pastor Christie. Ironically, she's here like during the weeks all these times, but she's gone all the weekends. So she'd love to hear about it. Um, so we'd all love to hear. So that's what we're going to do. Reflect, pray, ask for opportunities to be a blessing. And if something comes to mind, think, what can I do? So I'm going to set a one minute and 30 second timer. I know that's not a lot of time, but hopefully you guys have been praying about this and God's already leading you in places. All right. Let's pray.
Lord, give us a heart that is broken for the things that break your heart, for the people that you long for, that you long to know, that you long to bless, Lord. Lord, give us eyes to see, to see the needs around us, to see how people are hurting, to see how they need to be loved, Lord. Give us ears to hear their stories, to hear their needs, Lord God. And give us hands to do the work so that we might put our, our love into practice so that it moves from an abstract idea to concrete action. In Christ's name, amen.